0: Let's take our Bibles. We want to turn to Malachi chapter 3. And as we do, we know that this being Commitment Sunday, commitment to your church, commitment to the Lord, uh, sometimes it can be a rather confrontational type of of dealing. I remember when I was uh, a student, college student at Prince Avenue Baptist Church, and my pastor, Bill Ricketts, was giving a message on tithing. and, uh, And he had the commitment card, and we had it in our hand. And I can remember thinking to myself, wow, I don't have much money. I mean, I was working my way through college, have to understand. So I, I was looking at how much tuition it was going to cost, how much it was going to cost for me to uh, live. And as I was looking at this card, I came into church that day thinking to myself, I don't know what I'm going to do with this card. I just don't know what I'm going to do with it. Well, I filled it out, and I said, okay, I'm going to start tithing right now, And I began tithing, and I was actually uh, in commission sales at the time, or about to enter that. And, um, you know, I've been tithing ever since. In fact, as I said, i given above the tithe because of what God's done in my life. But also, it just came down, you know, when I was looking at that card, it came down to just one thing in my life, and that's only one thing. Am I going to obey God or not? Okay? I wish I had that kind of... Revolution from God and revelation from God on every decision I would make, but it certainly came to me very loud and clear that morning. Are you going to obey God? You said you're going to give your heart to God. You're going to do whatever he wanted you to do. This is before I was called to the ministry. Now, are you going to obey me or not? And I think it was so clear to me on that morning that I think maybe, I don't know, but I think maybe if I would have not done that that morning, that would have got me off on of one of those tangents we were talking about. Those roads where you were supposed to spoke, turn on I-75 and you didn't, you took the access road, and, you know, maybe your wife wakes up in the middle of the night and says, where are we? And she says, I don't know. But, man, there's no traffic on the road. You know, it's pretty good. You know, Waffle House and service stations, everything good. You know, you're, you're in one of those tangent type of things. And you think to yourself, wow, I'm, I really miss that relationship with God. It just seems so far away now in my life. And we made the miscalculation, as I did uh, in previous times in my life, that when I come to a place of, Disobedience or not really wanting to obey God, I think I just stop in my Christian experience. But I don't. I, I go off on a tangent and, and a, a, an access road that never comes back. And the only way you can get back is how. Well, let's look at it this morning. We want to see, um, as I've just shared with you just a few moments ago, um, every decision we make to follow Christ is just a really a new way to take a courageous step of faith. And that's all it is. You, you look at salvation, how... How salvation—the salvation, salvation experience—is the most confrontational, threatening thing that can ever happen to a person's life. They're thinking to themselves, "Look, I'm running my own life. I'm doing my own thing. I, I enjoy the sin I'm involved in, even though it's, it's killing me. But I still enjoy." It. And now you're asking me blindly—no, not blindly. Oh, yeah, it is blindly because I don't know what the Christian life is going to be like once I receive Christ. What a step of faith—a step of faith by conviction that Jesus Christ died on the cross, he loves you, he loves you more than you love yourself, and you're willing to base all of your life on that one decision. And every decision after that is easier, and should be at least, but nevertheless it's always a step of faith. As we're looking at this, we've said in this series that in order to find our way home, we've got to return to our first love, and that is to take that access road back and go back to the place where we got off the road in the first place and where Jesus Christ is first place in our life. If he is first place, that takes care of everything else in our lives. So we're looking at this and we understand that money is a difficult thing. It's difficult in our life. It's difficult in the days of Malachi. They were building the temple. They're about to have the temple worship back again. And God's big complaint to them was that they were ungrateful, they're profaning the name of God because they were ungrateful and they were robbing God of tithes and offerings and this is the last book to the Jewish people that really exclusively to the Jewish people that's ever been written 400 years later Jesus Christ would come on the scene so here was someone a group of people that we, a nation that we can identify with and so we look into the bible and we find, first of all, a reviewing of our challenge. secondly, the revealing of the solution, and finally the releasing of our faith. First of all, there's a reviewing of the challenge. Let's look in, in verse three or chapter three, verse one. "Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple." and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. This is prediction here. This is prophecy. He's saying one's going to come to prepare the way. And that one was John the Baptist. 400 years later, the next Old Testament prophet, you might say, to come on the scene, would be John the Baptist. Then the one that's going to come after him is going to be like in a refiner's fire. He's going to be like fuller's soap. He's going to cleanse people. That's talking about Jesus himself. He will sit on as a smelter and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi, those are the priests of the Jewish nation, and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness, Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. The problem was in giving God, robbing God here, they were giving God the leftovers of their life. It's not that they were not obeying the law by actually giving 10% of their stock. It's 10% of the vegetables, but what they would do, they would give him the worst, they would look at a sheep and say, well, you know, this wool's all diseased. He's pussing at the eyes. Nobody can, use, nobody can eat this sheep. Nobody can use its wool. We'll sacrifice that one to the Lord. After all, he's gonna burn it up anyway. And so they were profaning the name of God by giving him the leftovers of their life. And he says, I, these, these offerings now are gonna be acceptable to me because in that day, talking about our day, we will have a love for the Lord and not just do things out of legalism. Verse 5, then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the wage earner and his wages, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear him, the stranger, says the Lord. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. He says, I made you a promise. I'm I'm faithful to always keep my promises, for in the days of your fathers you have turned aside for my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, and says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? That's what we're talking about this morning. How do you get back to where you started? How do you get back on track? How do you return? Notice that he, asks, he answers the question with a question. Will a man rob God? He's reading their minds. Yet... You are, you, but you are robbing me. But you say, oh, how have we robbed you? He says, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse for a robbing the whole nation of you. Bring the tithe into the storehouse, so there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. As we look at this, we said last week, the word tithe means a tenth. It means that everything that we have belongs to God, but basically, he's saying to us, look, as a, as a minimum, Old Testament minimum, what I want you to do is I want you to take the nine and use it for your family and what you need in your family, and then tithe the one. You say, wow, since everything I have comes from God, that seems to be unfair. But that's what God says to do as a minimum. Now, in the Old Testament, somebody says, well, tithing is just kind of an Old Testament thing. But let's look a little bit at... Um, uh, the, the inner workings of this, because the problem is, is this: this is the biggest problem preaching about money. Nobody thinks they have a problem with money. Nobody, nobody really thinks that. I mean, you, you've got a couple; they're wrestling over money, but each one of them thinks the other person has trouble with the money. You know, she goes to the counselor and says, "You know, he's just he's a he's a spendthrift. You know, he spends on everything." And she he says, "Oh, she's just a tightwad." She wants to save everything. Well, both of them have a problem. It's not really money. Money's an ends to a mean. One, the man wants to be significant. He wants everybody to look at him like he's something special. So he wants to buy a lot of things, impress a lot of people, while she has problems with security. She wants security, and the only way to do that is to stuff money back. So money not only reveals that God, that money may be an idol to us, but also reveals what that idol may be, if it's not money, and we don't, you know, we don't realize, we don't think about it. Why? It's just not obvious. I mean, it's not like uh, adultery. You know, you're not sitting across the table eating your salad. Wake up, look up one time, say, "Ooh, you're 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 not my wife." You know, it doesn't surprise you. You know what I'm saying? You know whether you're doing it or not. But money, on the other hand. You just don't realize it because we live in a world with materialism all around us. The Bible says that we're stewards or managers of another household or possessions. Let me read to you another passage that I haven't read to you in many, many years out of 1 Chronicles 29. so, So David blessed the Lord in the sight of the assembly, and David said... Blessed are you, O Lord, of Israel, our Father, forever and forever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, indeed everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise you Praise your glorious name. But who, cannot, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this, as they were raising money for the temple, for all things come from you and from your hand we have given you. Everything belonging, belonging to the Lord. You say, now wait a minute, pastor. I'm, I'm kind of smart. I don't want to brag about it, but I'm kind of smarter than the normal guy. You know, I get it. And somebody else says, well, I work harder. I mean, we've got people in this country that won't work at all. We've got people in the world that aren't working. I work. And, and, and because I'm working, that's, uh, it's my money. Well, I'm not saying that you're not successful. But what I'm asking you is this. Would you be as successful as you are today? If you were born, we'll say, as a sheep herder in Tibet back in the 11th century... Would you be as successful today if you were born today in the nation of India and be one of the impoverished people there? No, God has given you opportunity. He's placed you in a a location. He's placed you in a life. He's given you time. He's given you talents. He's given you uh, being born in America. All the opportunity, including, including your brains, including your willingness to work hard, all of that comes from him. And you're responding to it. Now, the Bible tells us that we are wealth managers, that we are stewards, we are managers of someone else's investments. It's God's investments. He's given it to us to do with what we need to do with it. In other words, 100% of it belongs to God, and we ought to be obedient in everything that we do, all of our giving and all of our spending. We have to take our lead from him. And here it says, will a man rob God? The word rob here comes from a Hebrew word, a very unusual word, by the way, meaning, uh, it it means simply to plunder. It means to embezzle. It means to uh, take away from a society. Now, what God is saying here is, look, it's mandatory for the Jewish nation to tithe. Here, it's voluntary. We don't, we don't make anybody. We don't, we don't judge anybody. Uh, I don't know unless you're telling me what you give. I don't know what you give. It's voluntary. But back then it was mandatory, and all the tithes were brought to the temple. And not only did it meet the needs of the temple, but also the poor and the entire nation. And so he says, because you're holding the, these things back, what's happening is that the poor are lacking. The ministry is lacking. You're, you're, rob, you're plundering your own nation. What would happen in this nation if every evangelistic church and all their members at least ties to, the, to the, um, their income? What would happen? You know, we would not only be able to use that money to not only hire staff and, and do ministry all throughout the community, but we would be sending people. Overseas, like you'd never seen before. We are having to bring people back in our denomination from the mission field because there's not enough money there. What we could do if we just simply had it. And so we look at the mirror of desire. Randy Alcorn has said it best. He said, the biggest problem to our giving is that we think this world is all there is. He said, no, pastor, I know better than that. I'm, I'm coming to the book of Revelation tonight and We're going to be studying that. And I know there's an afterlife. Yeah, but we don't live. He's saying we don't live like it. We live as though the now and the blessings of now, the secular, the now is all that really matters. And so we look at the revealing then of the solution. Look with me down in verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. He says, now what's going to happen when you bring the tithe into the storehouse? He says, so there may be food in my house. There's going to be a, a ministry blessing here. He says, test me now," on this, says the Lord, if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing for you until it overflows. It's not only going to be a blessing to all of society as we minister to the culture around us and the people around us. It's going to be a blessing to you. He says, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven. If you give the right reason... I'm gonna open up the windows of heaven and here's what he says. Then I will re- rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. He says, look, there's a devourer here. Who is that devourer? Well, it's Satan himself. He's taken from you what you refuse to give to the Lord, he says. And what's happened is your, your land is not getting blessed. There's, there's like termites in the foundation and it's all gonna come crumbling down. And of course, we know that it's dead. He says... I'm going to take that devour away from you. How many tithing testimonies have you heard in your life where somebody would say, it, and we laugh at this, and, and unfortunately we laugh at it, but somebody would say, I just felt like the devil was getting it. Well, he was. You know, the car would tear up, the house, something would go wrong with the house, one of the kids would need this. It just seems like you could never really have enough. Because the devourer was getting it. He says, Look, I'm gonna bless you. And then in verse 12, all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be, delight, uh, um, be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. He says, Look, the rest of the world is gonna look at the Jewish nation and they're gonna say, Wow, must be something to God. Look how he's blessing that nation. Well, the same way with you. You go out into the world and you're a generous person. And somebody's gonna say, Wow, look how, look how God's blessing that person. Must be something to it. So not only do you, does the church do well, and, and be able to minister, you're blessed, but God is called blessed as well. And so it says the tithe. Well, what about the Old Testament? Well, the Bible says that the tithe is from the Old Testament. It starts out in the Old Testament. It's incorporated into the law. And then finally, Jesus talks about it. And he says this in Luke 11, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and ruin every gar- kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Now, what, what is he really saying there? You have to understand that according to Luke chapter 16, verse 14, it says, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money. Now, I didn't get that from the scripture. I don't read that and think, well, man, they just really, they're just in love with money. But the Bible says they were in love with money. Here's what they were doing. They were tithing everything. The mint, the rue, the money, whatever. They were tithing everything, but he says that, picture this. They're walking along, and there's maybe a handicapped person there, and they're saying to themselves, look, I gave it the office. Basically what they're saying. I gave it the temple. I've already given my 10%. I've already given what is legally required of me. I am not under any obligation to help my parents. I'm not any obligation to help this poor person. Uh, This uh, person that's handicapped, nothing. This blind man, nothing. I I am not required to do that because I've already given my tithe. And and Jesus said, look, you're missing the point. You're just missing it. And because they're missing it, the Bible even calls them, in, in a sense, hypocrites. So tithing becomes the baseline. Tithing was the law. It was legalistic. Now, the Bible presents it this way. If we really are in love with Jesus Christ, we would not have to ask the question, "What is the baseline? What is the legalistic limit of what I need to do?" For example, how many guys have ever had a child, and you picked up the child and you you've looked at the child for the first time? You know the baby blues coming looking at you, the brown eyes, and you're looking at that child and you think, "Wow!" And you turn to the nurse and say, uh, "What is required of me as a dad?" What is the minimum? Do I do I have to hold this baby? And she says, "Well, not really. Okay, I'll just put it down." What is required? Well, let's see. What is required? You got to put a shelter over their head, or the law is going to come and get you. It's a, it's a law thing, right? It's legal. Well, the law is going to come and get you. You got to make sure they get an education at least until what, they're 16 years old. Then they can drop out. I mean, who thinks about things like that? You know, you're, you're in a store and. Um, a little, your, your son says daddy daddy can I get a bicycle no son you cannot get a bicycle now I want you to be quiet while I talk to this car salesman about this new sports car N- nobody does that and, and you think well you know, I just get their clothes at whatever hand-me-down place I can get and I put a little food on their table and make sure they don't die from malnutrition even though they're a little skinny and when they're 16 I kick them out and I've done what is required of me by the law. And that's all Jesus is saying to the disciples, or rather to the Pharisees. If you loved me, what would you do? Well, you take that little baby in your arms and you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how that, ladies, how that, well, you, you would believe it kind of, but in a different way. How it changes a man's heart. He looks at that baby and says, well, I've been kind of bumming around. You know, I haven't been really trying to get any promotions. I haven't been really working. Why do so many men work themselves to death? Well, you know, and work to the detriment of their family, really. It's because they, they want to get ahead. They're thinking about, oh, man, what a responsibility. There's a college education, and there's getting them started in, in their field. Oh, maybe there's a master's degree. And, and you think about student loans, and we don't want to do this or that. And he begins to say, I, I need to get out there and really go for it because i got to do everything that I can to make, my, make sure my son or daughter get the benefits of life. I, I mean, even when we, were, we had children and they were growing up, we were concerned, you know, they were concerned, so we were concerned about what type of shoe they would wear to school. Because if they didn't wear the right, time, right kind, what would happen back then? They'd kind of be made fun of. And then if they did wear two, you can't get too expensive, by the way, because somebody would steal it off their feet. But otherwise, you know, you, you, you know, parents skip church because they're involved in sports or, and, and dance or this or that or the other, anything, anything for the kids. Why? Well, you, you love your kids. And Jesus is saying, look, if you love me, if you truly love me, you're not going to have to ask about the minimum. Even in our church today, you say, well, you know, well, you said that, you know, if we can somehow give what we gave per month over the last six months, then we're going to meet this budget. So it's not really all that challenging. But you know, we have, it takes $25,000 a year just to pay utilities here. You got the building, you got the staff. I mean, who, who says, I don't want to pay the staff? I mean, after all, I mean, you like your staff, Right. And so you have all kinds of things here. Why? We're trying to build disciples here to send them out into the rest of the world. And that, that formula has certainly worked for us over the years. 150 people calling the full-time Christian service. I, can name, I could name 50 of them just the other day. I was just boom, 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 boom. All the, all the young people, and sometimes not so young, that are out in the ministry because of this church. And that's just off the top of my head. God has blessed us in a real way, but in in order to continue to bless, we're going to have to be committed here, and we're going to have to be committed to generosity as well. And In fact, folks, think about it for just a moment on a personal level. Personal. Suppose um, we lived back in the Civil War days, and uh, maybe you were uh, in the South, and you found out from a really, really good source, not one of these speculations that you hear about churches around here, but I mean a really good source, that what was gonna happen is that Robert E. Lee was going to surrender and therefore all of your money, your Confederate money would be useless. What would you do? You say, well, you know, I'd just spend that money as fast as I could. No, you wouldn't. You would trade it in for Something that was more long lasting, gold or even um, northern money, the money we have today. Now, the Bible says that everything we have here is borrowed, it's not true riches. Luke chapter 16, it's not true riches. And the Bible says that the riches that we have in heaven is going to be true riches. Don't have anything now, but you're going to have it in heaven now. You, you look at yourself, you think to yourself, well, you know, you're talking about all this money stuff, and, you know, it's it just, it's confrontational, and, and I'm uncomfortable, and, and wow, you know, I just can't believe you're doing it. Listen, you're, you're going to learn if you're new here, uh, you know, and I don't say this in a bragging, bragging way, but I'm not afraid to preach on anything. All right? I've been preaching on this for 23 years. All right? <laughs> but let me say this. And I know you don't want to hear this. I know if I was sitting, oh, Well, if I was sitting where you're sitting, I would not want to hear this. But I'm just saying I have to apply it to my own life, right, before I preach it. If you're upset, you got to ask yourself the question, why? That mirror of desire, remember in the Harry Potter movie? You look into the mirror, and the thing that you see in the mirror is the thing that you most desire. Is the thing you're looking at, if you're getting upset here, is the thing you're looking at in the mirror really God? Or is it something else? Something else that you're holding on to that money helps you get, or maybe just money, period. You see, when I was sitting in that pew at Prince Avenue Baptist Church, the only thing that mattered, I didn't have a lot to give up, by the way. So, uh, you know, it was. you say, well, it's easier for you, you didn't have anything. Well, that's true. But there's always an excuse, right? God, I don't have anything right now. I'm working my way through school. Wait till I get out of college, then I'll do it. I'll Wait till I get a job and, and and really get a home. Once I buy a home, then after the down payment, after the home, then then I'll do something. There's always there's always a reason, always something that you don't that, that is the reason why we don't do it. Always something seems to be standing in the way. But the the question was: God, are you real? Answer yes. God, are you is this what you want me to do? Yes. Then I'm going to do it. Because the tithe belongs to the Lord, the tithe belongs to the storehouse, and the, the tithe is the first fruit. So, how do we get there? Look at releasing our faith, and we're going to close. We need to test the Lord. It says, and test me now, verse 10 in this. Test me? Very few times in the Bible we're ever called on to test God. He says, do it now. If you don't do it now, the chances are really really good that you're never going to do it. And so what is it? The Bible says that we begin by looking in that mirror. Revelation 2. Who is the Lord of your life? What is first place in your life? Really, if if Jesus is first place, the only thing that you be ask, should be asking, God, what does the Bible teach? What does it teach? I'm willing to do that if that's what the Bible teaches. Secondly, we take an obedient step of faith. As I said before, every decision we make to follow Christ in obedience is a courageous step of faith. That's what we're going to do with the 90-day challenge. And on these cards, if you want to pass them down the road, for just a, uh, to, these cards come with an envelope. We're going to ask you to uh, fill this out as I shared with you in, in my letter to you this week. And we do this every year. And we're going to be doing this in just a moment. Before we do, uh, on the back, it says there's a 90-day challenge. And here's the challenge for 90 days. If you are willing, uh, guys, ushers, you don't need to come up quite yet, all right? Uh, But if you are willing, if you are willing to say, I'm willing to tithe for 90 days, not just one or two checks. We're not talking about that. But tithe every single check for 90 days and if you are not feeling this, if God, you just say, you know, I just disobeyed God by doing that, that had nothing to do with the Bible, nothing to do with my relationship with God, then we, we will refund all your offerings for 90 days. So it's a step of faith for you, but we're joining you in that step of faith. Now, I ran across a guy last week, came up to me, and when I mentioned the 90-day challenge, and he said, you know, I did that, and God has really blessed my life. For it. And so we're going to watch his testimony here before we close. Let's do that. Rick? Amen. Isn't it great? And um, he came to me last week willing to give that testimony, and so we're grateful to take it. And so you commit this morning, then you follow through. Let me just share one quick story that I've shared uh, many times over the years. C. Roy Angel was uh, late, the late pastor, and uh, many of you may have uh, heard of him here, in, pastored in Florida, I think, Miami. And uh, back in the day, he was going and visiting uh, this lady in this uh, kind of apartment-type complex. And coming down the steps, he noticed that a young boy, elementary school, middle school age, was looking at his car. And he said, son, uh, please don't scratch the car. And uh, he says, oh, I'm not going to touch it. I was just admiring it. It was a beautiful red sports car. And he says, I've never seen a car like this before. He said, it's wonderful, it's great. He says, how much, how much would a, a car like this cost? And the pastor said, well, you know, I don't know. And he said, what do you mean you don't know? He said, look at this beautiful car. How could you not know how much this cost?" And she, he said, you see, it's because my brother gave it to me. And the little boy said, wow, I wish. And he said, pastor said, I know. <laughs> you wish you had a brother like that. And the little boy said, no, I wish I could be a brother like that. That needs to be the prayer of every single Christian. I wish I could be a brother that was that generous, that giving, and that able to give. Let's bow for prayer. God, in just a moment, we're going to ask people to fill out this card. And I know it's uh, confrontational. I've been there. I know that um, it could, um, you know, we wrestle back and forth. What should I do, God? What should I do? And um, God, it was so maybe easy for all 100 or so leaders to fill out a card just the other day uh, to get us started. Uh, not so easy for somebody that's, that's new to it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would lay upon our heart what to do. And I pray, God, that we would just obey you whatever you tell each individual person to do. Whatever that is, we'll accept that. That's good. That's what we want. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, would you take uh, the card, if you will, um, before you? You should have an envelope there as well. And what I want you to do, I want to bow in a silent, kind of a silent word of prayer, give you time to pray for just a moment, about maybe a minute, and uh, and fill out the card. And uh, if you want to know what's on here, Basically, on the back is about the quick facts about the 90-day challenge. But on the front, it says, I want to surrender my life to God in a fresh way in 2017. By one, accept the 90-day challenge to begin tithing to my church. Accept the 90-day challenge by giving over and above my tithe to the church. That's not a refundable thing. But I I challenge you to get off the baseline and really start uh, giving uh, number three, by continuing to tithe in my church. Number four, by praying consistently for my church in 2017. There's some, something here for everybody. And the reason why we, we ask you to put an amount there, if you can, it really help us, because uh, that's going to help our stewardship committee and um, uh, our stewardship team, I should say, to release money and know what we can do during the year based on uh, what comes in, uh, what comes in on, the, on, the, um, on these cards. And so we ask you to do that. And... Um, and so let's just bow right now in, in a prayer. And as you're bowing before the Lord, I'm going to ask leaders to reconsider as well. Maybe you want to do more, but also to fill out a card as a testimony of those around you. And also the card looks a little different and we, we did put on there by continuing to tithe. And maybe that's what you intended to mark. And so if you would, if you would do that, that'd be great. But right now, just take a moment to pray. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.